0: In 1996 Griffiths Racing was a humble but triumphant endeavour. Working his way through the Victorian country tracks, Robbie was establishing a strong and committed team at the stables on Bellato Road. That same year, a relatively unassuming horse by Demas from Mr Tacoma was born, none other than Dandy Kid.
1: I'd been training for Bill Watts because my uncle Jeff had been working with Michael Wachter and Michael Wachter had put my name forward to train for Bill Watts.
0: Bill Watts had bred Dandy Kid and was in the process of collating together a group of friends to buy shares in the Demas Foal. He's a character,
1: he's straight to the point and it was hilarious actually when he first rang me to train for him and his group of friends, he said, I hear you train alright. And anyway, I was sort of taken back in a good way. He said, Michael works with your uncle and he tells me you're trained good and you're straight up and you're honest. He said, I don't want any mucking about. I want to know if they're any good. I don't want to be wasting money. And he said, they tell me you're the right bloke for the job. I said, OK, that's good to hear.
0: Robbie was still finding confidence in his new profession and having the backing of a breeder as pert and unwavering as Bill Watts was a sure sign he was doing something right. It was an alliance Robbie was excited about, despite not knowing how it would necessarily pan out. Bill was
2: interested in getting a young up-and-coming trainer and he suggested to me that he was interested in either Robbie or, or um, David Hall at the time. And I said, well, I work with Robbie's uncle and uh, I'll get you his phone number and we can go from there. So
0: that's how it happened. That's Michael Wachter, part owner of Dandy Kid. Bill had been in the business of horses for quite some time and knew how difficult it was to get a leg up, so to speak. That's why he wanted to invest in an up-and-comer, be it Robbie or David Hall, to be able to cherish the journey with somebody bright-eyed and hopeful. I
2: think he wanted to actually give them a a break. Um, He'd been dealing with a lot of trainers over the years and he just thought, you know,
0: a young up-and-coming trainer would, would be right to his benefit. With Michael's confidence and with Robbie being made well aware of Bill's expectations, the small team felt optimistic about their arrangement. After training a small handful of horses with Bill Watts, Robbie and Dean Lester, Robbie's confidant and friend, drove up to Bill's paddock in Berrigan, New South Wales, to visit the Demas foal. Berrigan is a charming and quaint country town on the Riverina Highway in the Riverina region. Bill's breeding model was changing significantly as he aged, meaning that there were fewer foals to choose from. However, there was something special about the Demas foal, and Bill was eager to hear Robbie's thoughts as to whether or not he saw promise in the young horse.
1: He said to me, uh, I think you'll like the Demas one, but anyway, you form your own opinion. So we went up there. uh, He was at Dave and Arnold's property, up around the border at Corowa, and uh, we had a look at this nice little horse, and uh, we really liked him and as it turned out that was a uh, young dandy kid without the race name
0: given bill's insistence that being that he only wanted to invest his energy and hopes into a horse robbie saw genuine promise in robbie knew the stakes were high but the then kneeling up in Berrigan had a spark in his eye as well as a sturdiness and strength that robbie liked as did dean He may not have imagined the sort of staying success Daddy would acquire in his later years right there and then, but he did see a horse built for greatness in whatever way, shape or form it would later assume. He wasn't tall, he wasn't particularly pretty, but he had something.
1: He went to Paul McVickers to be broken in and then he had six months off uh, back at David Arnold's property and then he come down to our stables in the February of 99 and that was going to be uh, the beginning of uh, what we now know as Dandy Kids Racetrack career.
0: Paul McVicker was an obvious choice. He was a Berrigan local and when he was a little younger than Robbie at just 20 years old he'd spent five years with Colin Hayes at Lindsay Park working closely with weanlings and yearlings and learning how best to break in young horses.
2: Great trainers,
1: no matter their geographical location, have one common element and that is their empathy with the horse. Colin Hayes in South Australia has trained more than 4,000 winners. He holds the world record for metropolitan races won in one day. With this record and 35 years experience, he knows the uncontrollable in a race can be the difference between a win
2: and further down the field.
1: You know, when you think between perhaps half a dozen runners, there's a fifth of a second. The, the one that gets the favours or the that and like. a lot of things that come into this business. And, uh,
0: uh, but, uh... Robbie was no stranger to the late and legendary Colin Hayes. He'd ridden for him as well as for the likes of Bart Cummings and Lee Friedman before kicking off his training apprenticeship as stable foreman for Tony Vassell. Colin, who was inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame in 2001, came from humble beginnings too, commencing his racing career with a steeplechaser named Surefoot, who he paid no more than nine pounds for and proceeded to ride himself in the 1948 Great Eastern Steeplechase. Lindsay Park, his breeding establishment, was home to some of Australia's most notable stallions.
1: At Lindsay Park in the Barossa Valley, Colin Hayes puts into practice his approach to training. It is one that emphasises not only the physical, but the mental soundness of a horse. I love horses and um, I get my, a lot of people get stimulation from various things, um, but horses give me my stimulation and I find them terribly interesting and absorbing And from pedigrees to the actual training. And, and when I set this, or, or, or began planning this place, I really wanted them from conception uh, to the racetrack. That's what i tried to do.
0: After being brought down from Berrigan to Cranbourne, dandy kid was settled and ready to start his racing career and that's where michael watcher met him for the first time on the corner block on Bellato road and nelson street
2: oh dandy dandy was uh, very broad across the chest he was he was quite big compared to all the other horses and um, he was a nice type well i first remember seeing him and he was actually at robbie's and he was running up and down the paddock and he'd come within an inch of the fence and then run to the other side and he he was full of beans full of life
0: that's also where and when budding stable hand and horse enthusiast Rhiannon Schiffer met dandy kid Rhiannon affectionately known as Ree was an enthusiastic worker in her mid-20s who'd scored a couple of jobs in a couple of different racing stables across Cranbourne but she was generally fairly new to the racing game, having grown up in Turak. It was a cultural shock for her who found the atmosphere overwhelming, from the way people spoke to one another, to the way individuals were treated in the field, and to the way some even proceeded to treat their horses. Whilst racing often attracts lovers of the sport, and importantly the animals involved, it isn't without its controversies. But... Ree found a home of sorts at Griffiths Racing Stables, where she felt that respect and adoration for the horses was a prerequisite.
3: It was after I'd been eventing in New South Wales that I came back from Melbourne and I, I found a unit in Cranbourne and I was teaching riding is what I was doing, but I needed extra income to be able to support what I wanted to do. So that's how I started in racing, but it was a complete shock to the system.
0: She had her reservations though, and after her experiences, swore off working in the racing industry.
3: I thought, oh, I wasn't going to, and then I thought, oh, okay, and then, damn it, <laughs> I loved it, and it really was different.
0: She saw promise in the small team, including Gary McMullen, Ivan Culliver, Maury, Charlene and more. And she found Robbie's devotion to the horses he took on something she knew well, as it was something she'd always implemented in her work. But what Ree wasn't aware of at the time was how much of an impact the Demas foal would have on her, as the two grew in the stables alongside one another, she and Dandy Kid. This was her first impressions of the two-year-old.
3: It was a (laughs) brumby. He was. He was really aloof. He was always really aloof. He didn't really look for people's attention as such. He was really plain, I guess. Because he was a bit of a, he was very quick to react. So he was always a bit of a warrior. Well, I know, like, to he was really hairy.
1: Dandy was... uh... Dandy was a funny character because he was very quiet and pleasant on the ground but when you were riding him he was very strong and I rode him in a lot of his training. He was very hard to control at speed.
0: Robbie's training regimes in the 90s were different to what they are now. Given his training career came off the back of his riding career, he still insisted on riding work a lot of the horses in the stables. He was able to and was quick to get a feel for their character and in turn assigned the most appropriate jockey to them dandy was one of his rides and one of his bolters
1: i believe me riding track work was uh, a, a big advantage so i could relate to the train uh, to the jockeys on race day um so that i could talk to them and you know have that rapport and understanding especially
0: with dandy kid and who better to throw on a headstrong horse built like a paunchy brumby None other than 19-year-old teenager and apprentice jockey, Ryan Maloney, who'd only been in the saddle for a pinch of time.
1: I was actually playing football at the time, and the coach uh, had, like, shares in horses, and he kept telling me because I was that
2: small to... ..but don't worry about playing football,
0: go and be a jockey. So whilst Ryan Maloney's short-lived career as a footballer failed after his coach had absolutely no faith in his abilities, instead ushering him to the barriers, Robbie saw potential. Ryan was at the start of his career, and in many ways, so was Robbie. The two would make sense of this sturdy but honest gelding together. Dean Lester had put his name up, and so Ryan, who referred to Dandy Kid as an apprentice's dream, despite his tendencies to get on the bit, took on Mooney Valley with the ambitious young horse, not knowing then and there that Dandy Kid would soon become an emblem of persistence and a figure of victory at the city track.
1: The Mini Valley track is a square track. Um, it's quite sh- has short straights. It's a high pressure track, and I think because he is a high he was a high pressure horse in the way he trained. He used to go quite quick.
2: Candy won 15 races at the Valley. He was uh, he was synonymous, and, and in fact, I don't think that record will ever be broken. I think uh, to win 15 is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, that was a big go to when he broke the record. He only just got there but you only just have to get there, don't you?
1: Once we realised probably into his, you know, four year old career Ed he'd had a few more starts at Mooney Valley and we realised how well he used to corner at Mooney Valley, he could go into a, a corner, especially the home bend at Mooney Valley, and he'd come out of that home bend so much so many lengths ahead of his opponents. And I think the fact that he was so productive on bends where most horses aren't made him so effective at Moonee Valley and being a unique track that Moonee Valley is gave him such a huge advantage so once we realized that his skill set was so effective there we just kept going back
0: there. Unlike other metroid tracks the Moonee Valley Racecourse is unique for a number of reasons Firstly, it's one of the smallest metropolitan courses in the country, given it has a rectangular circumference of only 1805 metres and a home straight of 173 metres, which is where Dandy would cover most of his ground, having propelled his weight and surge out of the bend, as Robbie describes. Its design means that horses are at their absolute advantage when being close to the lead as they enter the home straight, as it isn't long enough to make up for lost time and given Dandy's tendency to bolt, he was often already there, pushing on towards the finishing line.
1: And when we uh, realised that that, um, that affinity with Moonee Valley was, was noticeable, well then we let him keep going back and each time he returned he perfected it even
0: better.
2: Absolutely, he gave us a lot of pleasure, he gave us a lot of joy, he was, he was a great horse.
0: But wherever Dandy Kid went, he didn't go alone. And I don't just mean he was followed by a handful of devoted owners. I mean he was partnered up with a lead pony, commonly referred to as a companion pony. Given that horses are pack animals, they find a lot of solace in the support offered by a companion pony. Some of history's favourites, including Seabiscuit, relied on a whole farm of kindly animals to offer their support, including a lead pony named Pumpkin, a dog named Pocketel, and even, at times, a spider monkey named Jojo. And I used to do the lead pony
3: with him, because if he didn't have a lead pony with him, he'd whip.
0: But lead pony aside, Dandy Kid was a record holder, a horse who broke a handful of different records in his time at Griffiths Racing Stables. Here, Robbie reflect on that special time, as well as Dandy's legacy in Australia's racing industry.
1: Well he broke the record three times because there was, the, the flat record was 11 wins. So he equaled that with Gallipoli Prince, which was a horse that I ironically, I used to ride uh, on, a, on some occasions with Ian Saunders at Mordialik. He was trained at Epsom where I did my apprenticeship. So he, um, he equaled that once and then he broke it when he had 12 wins. So he got a standing ovation to equal it at 11, break it at 12. Then he had a, uh, he got to equal Van Perry's record of 14 wins, who was a fantastic jumper in the 50s at 14. And then he got a standing ovation at his last and final race start on the 26th of August 2006 when he had 15 wins for an outright record holder himself. Um, which was his final race start, which was what we collectively agreed to do as a group of owners with Bill Watts. We wanted to try to give Dandy Kidd his own outright record of 15 wins at Mooney Valley, which was an amazing feat to think that the amount of superstar champion racehorses that have graced the turf at Mooney Valley over the last 100 years, to think that he is the only horse that has completed that Achievement of 15 wins. You know, you look at the superstar champions like Winx, that's had four Cox plates, and Kingston Town, three Cox plates, and Sunline, and so on. To think that our horse, Dandy Kidd, has that record, Farlap has the record at other, you know, at at, at Flemington, and so on, and, uh, you know, and Dandy Kidd holds Mooney Valley. You know, it's amazing he's held with some superstar names of the Australian turf and it's just unbelievably, it gives you (laughs) pins and needles up your spine. You you talk about names like these.
0: Dandy Kid's impact symbolised something far greater than just a sturdy horse with a tendency to bolt collecting records and milestones on the Moonee Valley racetrack. He represented taking a chance when the odds are against you. From old Bill Watts, choosing to invest his energy and money into a budding, excitable trainer in his early 20s, to an ambitious Robbie Griffiths and his friend Dean Lester, casting their eyes on a cheap horse in a Berrigan paddock and thinking, sure, why not? To the appeal of a stable of no more than 24 horses, where a disillusioned young stable hand named Ree, who wanted nothing more than to spend her days in the company of horses and those who loved them, found her home and her kinship. Dandy Kid was all of that and more, and that's the truth about most of the horses that leave a lasting impression on the track. They often do so on those around them as well, those who spend every aching day fostering their journey. Yeah,
2: she, she absolutely loved that horse. She was uh, really instrumental in in, uh, in bringing him forward.
3: We did have an intense connection. I think he loved me for my carrots. I used to him carrots. <laughs> All the time. No, I don't know. I think he, um, that was just how he was. You know how some people just have like one person? He's just a really, he loved to really know who was either on him or working with him. Other than that, he didn't really want to know. You know, he wasn't really a, you know how some horses, they're happy to be patted by everybody? He wasn't really one of those. He never really enjoyed the fact that all those people would swarm around at the races and wanted to pat him. He was like, and I can, I can relate to that. I think at the time, you know, I had some horrible stuff happening. So he was, he was, he meant so much, like he was everything in my life at the time. Mm. You know, he was, I, I remember going in on a weekend and walking him and picking him because I didn't want anyone else to. You know, and I was just like that with my, I didn't like other people dealing with my
0: horses. I still don't, I'm still like that. Dandy left a lasting impact on the special few allowed into his world. And there was somebody else, a part owner of Dandy Kid named Merv Sykes, who took so much joy in the horse's journey, who absolutely adored the magic that happened when Dandy's hooves hit the Mooney Valley turf.
3: And Merv used to stand with me, he used to come, he used to be standing in the stall when we'd get there, or you know, opposite the stall when we'd get there. He was an older gentleman, and with his wife and his daughter and son-in-law, they all used to come, they are such lovely people, and he'd stand and wait for me to arrive, and he'd always... Um, if he was out near the truck, he'd carry my bag or if he was in the stall, you know, he'd take my bag from me and, and he'd always wait with me and make sure that Dan was settled in and then they'd go off and have a bite to eat or something and they'd always come back before the race and watch him be settled up and win, lose or draw, they'd always come back after the race to make sure that he was okay and they would stay until I packed up he was on the track every single start. It didn't matter
2: where
0: that was. Yeah, he developed a sickness from the expects of it, and it uh, was actually terminal, so he lost his battle with it. Merv's death shook the ownership group, as well as Rhiannon. His love of the sport, for the horses, and all that went with the glitz and glamour of race day left an unbelievable hole in the heart of the valley. Each time, Dandy edged a little closer to his hard-earned record Merv's sickness got a little more and more overwhelming. And unfortunately, before then seven-year-old Dandy kid made history, Merv passed.
3: The start after Merv had passed away, Dandy won at Moonee Valley. And I always remember feeling that, you know, that was, that was Merv.
2: But... uh... He loved Mooney Valley, he loved Dandy and he had his ashes
0: spread at the winning post at Mooney Valley. The spreading of Merv's ashes brought home a quiet and humble truth when it came to Dandy Kid. It's that when it comes to the making of a legend, each of us leave and lose a part of ourselves in the journey. Dandy Kid revealed something to Robbie, that it wasn't just a victory from a box seat run or sustaining a three furlong sprint. It's a game of patience. It's a decade-long journey. It's becoming one with an anti-social horse who had a tendency to bolt, who turned Griffiths Racing Stables into what it is today. It's that legends come in all shapes, sizes, and different resolve. And it's that a standing ovation happens on the ground and in the clouds. And there's absolutely no way Merv wasn't cheering from his front row in the sky. Now, it's
3: only now that I've been around training myself And you even watch people like Robbie or Greg or anybody that have so many horses come into their stable and you realise what that horse did. How many other horses they've had since that haven't been able to near emulate that. I mean, okay, so he wasn't a Group 1 winner, but I tell you what, he did something special. He's almost just as much of a champion for what he did as opposed to... You know,
0: just winning that singular group one. Thank you for tuning into Under Starter's Orders, a podcast that explores the racing industry through Robbie's eyes. Next time, we note how the stable expands, introducing the likes of Simon Miller to the fold. And we deep dive into the stories of champions Confederate Kid in Biltoir. I'm your host, Greg Miles, and if you're enjoying this journey, Make sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes and leave a review or follow us on Spotify. Catch you next time on Under Starters Orders.